Hello and welcome to the Knits Beyond Normal podcast. I'm Kate. You are listening to episode 17 and welcome to the show. If you're a new listener, I'm so glad to have you with me this morning. This is a weekly podcast where I talk about knitting, yarn, zombies and dragons and other geeky things. If you hear something you're interested in, you can check out my blog at knitsbeyondnormal.blogspot.com. You can find my show notes there, links to the websites, yarn companies, project patterns, or any other sites I might talk about. I really try to release episodes on Wednesdays, Life Per permitting and you can subscribe through iTunes and if you want to email me you can do so at knitsbeyondnormal at gmail.com also I have a new announcement this week I have created a group on Ravelry for listeners of the show so it'd be a fun place to talk if you have things in common if you like to watch Game of Thrones or Fear the Walking Dead or The Walking Dead or anything uh, feel free to search Knits Beyond Normal in the groups tab on Ravelry and join me be a fun place to share projects and yarn and all kinds of stuff so for now let's jump into the show uh, first segment knitting patterns projects oh my so definitely some progress this week I started my second Mad Me project and finished it a much simpler project than the silver fox I was working on before this is the second of several baby gifts that I have been asked to make and this is a pattern I love that I have used many, many times. It's called Young Einstein by Julia Stanfield on Ravelry. I am doing this one in Madeline Tosh DK Twist in the color Smokestack, which is a very light gray. That's the mottled, lovely color that Madeline Tosh does with their color work. I'm also doing it with a small accent color of an original color, so one-of-a-kind color scheme that I got on sale a while ago. It's a bright blue, and it's similar in color, I believe, to their Blue Nile. So it's, it's a very bright um, aqua blue blue and I'm just using a little bit of that I had left over from another project to do some stripes I did three accent stripes at the bottom of the hem and then three near the cuffs to match so right at the moment I did finish that so that was some definite progress and it was nice because I was able to do more than one project for the Mad May submission and now I'm currently working on a little beanie with the leftovers to match to complete the set I might throw in a set of booties it depends on how far I get through the leftovers because the small size I made the three month size cardigan for the young Einstein and it used just a little over a skein to finish the sleeves of the smokestack so I have almost a full skein left we'll see how far it takes me if I can at least get the hat done I'll be happy I was even thinking about um, making a tiny little uh, bear a uh, knitted, little knitted uh, pocket bear t- for the to go match the cardigan but we'll see how far I get through there I have not worked on my Tuesday night cowl just simply because the young Einstein was a lot of stockinette so I was able to work on that while I watched TV this week. So I'll be picking up that as soon as Mad May is over, which it will be in just a couple days. I was actually a very good girl this week. No new yarn purchases. I have been trying very hard to stick to that yarn diet at least for a couple months while I save some money for other things. What are you knitting this week? Did you participate in Mad May? Uh, jump in jump in the comments and let me know. I'd love to talk to people about what you're knitting or what you're watching on TV. And now that we have the group, I might start a few threads in there of just what are you working on or what are you watching. So feel free to keep your eyes open for that. I'm going to jump right into Geek Files because we have two big episodes to talk about this week. And we're going to start with Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, they had their mid-season finale, which was called Shiva, or Shiva, depending on how you pronounce it. Spoiler warning, as always, if you have not seen the mid-season finale for season two of Fear the Walking Dead, uh, you want to skip this part. 
So a couple things to say about this episode. There are some things I liked and there are some things I hated. The biggest impression I got from this is it felt like we were missing two to three episodes that would have made some of these character changes going on a bit more believable. It really feels like we should have seen a few more episodes of them in Mexico. A few more days. Not many. Just even one or two episodes that conveyed the passage of time to explain some of these decisions the characters are making and some of the switches in temperament that some of them seem to go through at the drop of a hat. So we have the character of Chris, who's totally downward spiraling into crazy evil emo teen. He takes off into the rural wilds of Mexico in the early morning with his dad at his heels. His dad refuses to believe he's losing it, even after his stepdaughter tells him that they awoke to see Chris standing over her with a blade, a la Freddy Krueger style. But he just still doesn't believe it. He runs after him in the fog without even grabbing shoes, which we'll see him regret later on. These two characters, I was almost hoping that they were just going to be gone. And by the end of the episode, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Looking at the previews for the rest of the season, it's obviously they're not going to be gone right away. But the character of Chris, they had such an opportunity to go with, and it's completely just been turned. But too quickly and without enough, uh, without enough evidence to understand why he decided to go so evil so quickly. Yes, he feels guilty, but... It really just seems odd. But let's move on to Nick. Nick's having a similar crisis of faith, faith, but he's getting more attached to the way Celia thinks and looks at the world. And while I didn't like this because, again, we're missing time, Nick trusted her too fast and too much within moments of meeting her. If we'd seen a few more episodes with them bonding over time, maybe her teaching him how to cook, you know, giving him the freedom and the motherly attention that he's missing from Madison, who's being too judgmental and overprotective, this would have made more sense him getting so attached to her. But as it is, it seems really hurried and unexplained. So Nick gets risky and uses his bloody walker trick to bring back Luis's zombie corpse for Celia, hoping to placate her enough to let him and his family stay. She agrees for his sake, but she says she wants Strand out. She's too angry with Strand for not letting Thomas turn. So she's definitely furious that Strand shot Thomas in the head and didn't commit suicide with him. But I wish we'd gotten to hear Strand talk about that a bit more. We mostly just saw him digging the grave through the episode and commenting on what the other characters were doing, noticing that Daniel was losing it, trying to explain to Madison and why Chris would be vulnerable to Celia's teaching. But Strand's grieving, so we'll leave him to it. He's basically just digging the grave throughout the, almost the entire episode. Salazar then completely proceeds to lose it in this episode, right off the bat. And again, we saw that he was starting to hear voices in one or two previous episodes, but they showed it very briefly and momentarily. So now when we suddenly see Salazar completely go insane, we find ourselves sitting there going, he was that crazy, really? All of a sudden? Did he hit his head getting out of bed that morning? What happened? His voices are suddenly all over the place, and he experiences waking dreams where we see the flashbacks of how he started down his path as a traumatized and exploited child. But instead of focusing on the loved one that he still has with him, his daughter Ophelia, he goes bananas looking for the ghost of his dead wife, who he knows that her corpse is back in Los Angeles. We also know that she didn't turn because Eliza, Chris's mother, witnessed her being wounded in the head after death. I think she was even the one that did it. So he knows that she's not a zombie waiting for him as she's, her ghost is telling him, but he proceeds to descent down into madness anyway. This leads him into doing battle with Celia's henchmen who come to Ophelia's defense when he gets a little too grabby and she cries out. 
He gets imprisoned in a barn or cellar, and Celia gives a big speech about how he's already dying and he needs to confront his demons. When she leaves, he hallucinates about his dead wife for a little bit, and she goes on about how he didn't bury her, so she's still waiting. This is something that I felt like should have been addressed at the beginning of the season, or at the end of last season. So it's, I thought he was upset about her turning, but now it's suddenly about her burial. So you can see where I feel like we're missing episodes here. And the whole thing about his madness I honestly felt was such a waste. There could have been such a better use of this interesting and well-acted character than to have him suddenly lose it and off himself in a bonfire that also destroyed the entire compound where innocent people were trying to make a living during the apocalypse. They could have had him kill the zombies downstairs easily and piss off Celia. Just stand in front of the locked gate and stab them with something long as they came by. Easy. Why burn the place down? Madison confronts Celia about Nick, skipping to uh, some other characters. Again, we see creepy, overprotective Madison, and she talks about Nick, and she locks Celia in with the precious walkers. But we never see Celia dead, actually, or even as a walker, so we're not sure if that plan worked or not, although most likely she was killed in the blaze if, even if she had survived being locked in the basement. So we'll see what happens next season. We have the group completely split at this point. For at the end, after uh, Thomas's funeral, Strand is escorted off the property. And we see that Travis has chased Nick out into the house of another rural person who's managed to survive at this point. And Chris has gone completely nuts at this point, taking the man's young son hostage. Travis is now bleeding profusely through his socks because he didn't wear shoes when he chased Chris out. Chris has managed to get a gun. We basically have this whole downward spiral where Chris even tries to kill his dad and is going on about how he's no good. Now, one mistake about letting the pirates on the boat should not have equaled a complete descent into homicidal madness. Guilt, maybe. Maybe we should have seen Chris try to off himself because he felt guilty. I don't think him attacking the other live people really made a lot of sense. So he feels guilty about risking their lives, so he's just going to start killing them himself? What was the logic in that? I, I didn't get it. Did you get it? Let me know. And then we have Nick refusing to go with his family. He sees that they've the compound is burning down. He thinks that Madison is responsible for it. He thinks that they're the evil ones. What he doesn't know, and what Madison doesn't say when she's standing out in the road, is that they didn't do it. Daniel's the one who went crazy and lit the match. But anyway, Chris decides to just go run off and join the zombies and become one with them or something. We're not quite sure where he thinks he's going to go, but he runs off covered in walker blood and disappears into the crowd of zombies. Strand has returned at the, when he sees the destruction and, to rescue Alicia and Madison, and uh, eventually Ophelia as well. It looks like they pull her into the truck, even though she doesn't know where her father is. So we end this season a lot like the way the end of the excuse me, we end the season a lot like the way the season of The Walking Dead ended when the prison got attacked. They're in small little groups running different directions. They don't know if the others have lived or died. And then next season, we'll probably see several episodes devoted to each character and where they went and who they ran into. There's even a preview out where it looks like the very next episode after the break is going to be fairly Nick-centric with a little bit of Travis and Chris. So what do you think about the decisions they made this season? Do you feel like I do where there was like two or three missing episodes that would have really helped explain what happened in the mid-season finale? Pop into the comments or jump into the group. I'll start up a thread to talk about Fear the Walking Dead on there and maybe we can share theories. 
So, on to the other show this week, for which my episode is named for in tribute. This was a rough week for Game of Thrones, and I don't mean that it was a bad episode. On the contrary, it seems to still be getting better and better, but we had a very sad moment. Now, this is a spoiler warning. If you have not seen the Game of Thrones episode called The Door, do not listen to this episode. Stop right here, press pause, forward it until I get to random roster, because there will be spoilers. And with that said, rest in peace, Hodor otherwise known as Willis. This episode saw the end of a beloved, innocent, sweet character that has been one of the few characters in Game of Thrones that made people smile consistently when he was on screen. The character of Hodor, who has been uh, the companion to Bran Stark and Mira Reed throughout many seasons, left us. But he left us also with a very interesting question let's put it. So, let's start let's start in with this episode. So, we're we're going to save the last scene for last this time, but Arya, let's jump to Arya at the beginning of the episode. We get to go back to Bravos and see that Arya gets a mission. She goes in disguise to help with a theater group, uh one of whom she will be poisoning shortly. She realizes that the play she's watching is about Robert Baratheon's death, and at first she laughs at the fun they make until she realizes that her father is played as the biggest fool, and not just a fool for being mistaken, a fool as an adult and a simpleton. And her sister is being mocked as well, and she unfortunately has to watch a reenactment of her father's head being chopped off. And Joffrey's even played as a comical prince versus the evil little bastard that he actually was. Arya goes back to the House of Black and White and has a discussion about her mission with Jockin, who gives her an ominous quote that should have warned me about how this episode was about to go down. He turns to her and basically says, Does death, death only come for the wicked and leave the decent behind? Listen to that quote, because it's about to be very, very relevant. We jump back over to Castle Black, and we get a great scene this week with Sansa confronting Peter Baelish about how and who he left her with. I really loved Sansa's growth in this scene. She stands up straight and tall. She doesn't waver. She also doesn't act too impulsively and just let Brienne chop off his head, which is probably what I would have done had been in her shoes. Did you know about Ramsay? She says, if you didn't, you're an idiot, and if you did, you're my enemy, or something along those lines. Very well delivered, well written. I also like how we finally see Baelish a little bit off of his guard. I think he knew that Ramsay probably wasn't the nicest guy. I don't think he had any idea exactly how screwed up Ramsay would be to Sansa. I think he thought that because Sansa would be valuable, that she would be spared. He was deadly wrong. I also love in this scene how Brienne stands beside Santa knowing, Sansa knowingly, just daring Peter to make a move, her hand on her sword, and basically staring him down like, you know that you're wrong. And Baelish tries to redeem himself by offering the Knights of the Vale f- in, to Sansa for aid, but it's basically too little too late. She refuses the help, and she sends him away. And the last thing he basically tells her is a little bit of information about her uncle has retaken River Run, and hopefully she may find some aid there. Now, I'm not quite sure if Baelish is truthful here. I have a feeling that this is all a big ruse to walk Sansa back into a trap of his making, but we'll see. 
this sets in sets in motion a chain of events that doesn't feel very good about what's going to happen. I don't think sending Brienne away to investigate River Rum was a good idea. Brienne seems like the person who's going to keep Sansa the safest. Her brother will try his hardest, but Brienne has tried for a very long time. And she also has this vow that she takes extremely seriously. And she's rather effective. So I would have kept Brienne at my side personally and sent Podrick or maybe someone else from Castle Black, perhaps Davos. But anyway, we have Brienne right out, and she has a funny little comment about the way Tormund has been looking at her. And then even in the end, we get a little flirty gaze from him to her way before they ride out. I'm still hoping for a pairing on the show. It may never happen in the books, but I think it's hilarious on the screen. And like I said before, if Brienne and Tormund hook up, be prepared for some kind of giveaway on my show. So then we check in with the Iron Islands for a little bit. Yara's running for office against her uncle Euron, basically. Theon is cleaned up a bit from his reek days, but still looks malnourished and weak despite redonning his iron armor. He aids his sister in the bed, and it seems like all's going well until Euron steps up and basically reminds the Ironborn that they don't want to follow a woman, and he also reminds them of some of the horrible injuries that Theon suffered, therefore Theon can't run as well, even though he's not trying. But Euron basically spouts a whole bunch of nonsense about how they're going to build all these fleets to seduce the Dragon Queen. But these ships aren't built yet. And I'm not mistaken, but it doesn't really look like the Iron Islands have a lot of space and resources to build a huge fleet of ships extremely quickly. There wasn't that many people around. It seems to be pretty isolated. And then we have Yara and Theon who basically realize once they're beat, they're beat and they take off because they know that their uncle's going to have them killed almost immediately once he dons his crown, which is his first order after all. And they discover that Yara and Theon and some of their men have taken the fastest ships in the fleet, hoping to beat their uncle over to Danny, presumably. I think this might be an interesting way for this to go. I think bringing the Ironborn over to Marine might be pretty interesting. I also think I'm curious what Yara is going to think of the Dothraki if they get over there. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this plotline is definitely going to go, especially after all the horror that Theon suffered. I think it's interesting to see him and his sister on a different quest. Now, speaking of Daenerys, she's now leading her own Kalasar of Dothraki with Dario, and she has a satisfying scene with Jorah, finally, where she realizes that he came to rescue her over and over despite her banishing him. And he admits that he is in love with her, but he also admits that he has the grayscale and that she needs to send him away. She's upset, and Jorah gets some kind of satisfaction in the fact that she will be sad over his demise and that she doesn't want to let him go. They may not be destined for romantic love on Daenerys's part, but there's definitely a connection there, and I think that we get the feeling that Jorah has some sense of satisfaction getting that reaction from her. And then when he goes to leave, she actually is upset and commands him to find a cure and return to help her run the Seven Kingdoms when she conquers them. I think this was well done. It was well played by both actors. It wasn't too dramatic. And I'm curious if there is a cure for Grayscale. Dragon's Blood, maybe? Dragon Fire? Who knows? But the biggest and most gut-wrenching scene of this whole episode. Ugh. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to cry. I did tear up the first time I watched it. I am not going to cry, though, you guys. But I really wanted to. Is the origin story of Hodor. We finally find out why he only says the one word. The gentle, part-giant man that has protected and aided Bran Stark since the very beginning. His one word that meant everything. And his innocent spirit was taken. 
So this scene is already going down in Game of Thrones internet history as an onion scene, as in the one that you'll watch whenever you need a good cry, and it's sad for so many reasons. You see that the walkers have reached the Three-Eyed Raven's cave, and they attack, and Bran now bears a mark of some sort, which means that they can get to him or track him, But so we're not quite sure how running is going to help, but... We see the White Walkers attack the cave, and they wipe out not only the Three-Eyed Raven, but the Children of the Forest, and Bran's poor dire wolf Summer. And, excuse me, HBO, can we stop just, like, killing the wolves with no thought to them really at all? I felt like they were much more important to the story when I read the books, but the show doesn't really seem to agree. The only ones left standing are Bran and Mira, and from the looks of the White Army, not for long. Their last hope is simply a door that Mira calls out for Hodor to hold shut as they walk out into the ice storm. Bran is warged onto Hodor while still connected to Winterfell's past, and there's a sad side effect. We see that, for whatever reason, that because Bran is connected to the past, when he wargs into adult Hodor, it affects young Hodor in the past. And this is where Willis became Hodor and unable to speak. The young Hodor goes into a seizure of some sort when Bran does the warging, and Bran watches while he rides on the ground chanting the phrase that he hears Mira Reed yell from the future, and even as his older self is making the ultimate sacrifice for Bran and Mira's safety. Poor Hodor. Oh, this scene just... The way the music they put with it, the way it was filmed, he held the door even as the whites broke through and began tearing at him, and hearing his young voice yelling out the phrase as you watched him die was just heartbreaking. Uh, no, I'm not crying again. I'm not crying again. Hell, I'm not going to cry again. But I am definitely going to feel the urge to do so every time I watch that scene from now on. And what doesn't help is people keep posting it all over my Facebook, and it's just like, stop it, it hurts. So we realize that Bran Stark can affect time. And this is just so gut-wrenching, and it makes you wonder so many things. There's so many theories going on now on the internet about how all the Bran Starks of the past could be connected to this one. Someone actually even said that they think the Three-Eyed Raven might be Bran's elderly self from the future. Some of these are crazy, some are interesting, some may even be close to true. So I'm really curious to see and supposedly, according to internet and some rumor mills, that Hodor's origin story was something that was actually given to the show creators from Mr. Martin. So this this would make sense, considering that you know his name is in the books. It may not have happened exactly this way, but it makes me very, very curious for the next book, along with every other Martin fan and fan of The Song of Ice and Fire. What did you think of the episode? Did you cry? Did you cry? I'm curious to see who did. Anyway, I think another thread that we'll be starting on the group will be one for Game of Thrones, for sure. So, if, did you like this week's episode? Let me know if it got to you or not. You can jump in the comments or see if you can find the thread in the group if you join. But we're going to move on to brighter things, happier things, and jump into Random Roster. So, Random Roster this week, we have a subject that is a personal, like I guess you could say, guilty pleasure of mine. I love bags and backpacks. This would be something that I would definitely collect if I had more funds at my disposal. And I happened to jump onto ThinkGeek and check out their bag section. Now, there are some things here that I want so badly. And if you are into bags and carry-ons like me, I've never been a purse person so much. I like messenger bags and I love backpacks. But there are some even some purse-like bags on here that might make me change my mind. 
So my favorite one at the moment is the Star Wars R2-D2 carry-on luggage. You can find it at Think Geek under their luggage tab. This is so cute. It has the handle, so it's a rolling, it looks like a hard plastic case that's made up like R2-D2. I want to get this to take with me to Comic-Con, but we shall see. And it looks like it's currently on sale at the moment, so if you're interested, I would definitely check that out if you're a Star Wars fan. They also have a R2-D2 lunchbox. They have a bento style. They have the BB-8 purse and a Stormtrooper purse, which is really cool. I hadn't seen that one before. They have a bowling bag style one. You can also find there's a Captain America backpack, a Star Trek backpack, and a Daryl's messenger bag, which is a cool-looking messenger bag that I've wanted for some time. I didn't realize it was on Think Geek. I had originally seen it on Amazon. But it has the wings that are seen on the back of Daryl's vest on The Walking Dead. There is also a very cool R2-D2 purse. There's a TARDIS backpack, which is a different style from the one I currently own. It looks a little bit more like the Jansport construction versus the messenger bag with the pockets. One that I thought my son would like if it wasn't a purse, if this had been more like a backpack, there's a molded uh, Darth Vader mask purse that has straps on the sides, but it looks like hard plastic, so it looks like his headdress. They also have a Yoda plush backpack, but although that looks like it's out of stock at the moment, and I saw a BB-8 style plush backpack. So, so many bags, so little time, so little money, unfortunately. They even have a really cute little sushi purse in pink and white. So, if you are a bag collector, like I am, or you simply just enjoy drooling over things that you wish you could get, then definitely jump on Think Geek. They're one of my favorite shopping sites for geek stuff, but the bag section definitely has a special place in my heart. So I'm going to jump off a little bit early this week. We're get random roster. I'm going to cut it a little bit short and just do that little segment because I have an appointment to get to. And I wanted to record this morning quickly just so that I didn't end up getting behind like I did last week. Again, my apologies for last week's episode being out late. And to close out this week's list, uh, this week's list, we're going to go with five random yarn colorways that I pulled from my stash today. So... Number five would be Stormy Day, which is a color from the Lemonade Shop. She's a seller on Etsy. I talked about her, I think, way back on one of my first two podcasts. I got her through a program that the Madeline Tosh site was doing where they were featuring Andy Dyers, and they sold some skeins through their site. And uh, Stormy Day is a very cool uh, sock yarn that is a light gray with a rainbow slash through it. So as you're knitting up, you get these little rainbows, and it looks very cool. I'm hoping to try to teach myself how to make socks this year, and I would love to start with that skein. Uh, Number four would be a skein of DK Twist in the famous color Sea Glass. So these these are all random skeins that I just have one skein of in my stash, to clarify. Sea Glass is a beautiful bright green, and I keep waiting for the perfect little small project to use it for, but have yet to see one. It may just be a collector's stash forever sitting. I have one skein of a uh, DK Twist in a color called Calligraphy, which is another special skein that I've been saving. It's a very, very light pink with a gray modeled in, and I'm not even a pink person, but I loved this color. Number two, pulling out of my stash, would be, I have a random skein of a Blue Sky Alpaca Sport Weight yarn that I bought a very long time ago. I'm still not quite sure what I was thinking when I bought it. It is very, very soft and fuzzy. It's in a very, very light aqua, but I still have no idea what I'm going to do with it. It's alpaca, so it's very kind of hairy, but it's also extremely soft. It's one of those yarns you just kind of want to pet, but I'm not sure what if anything I'm ever going to make with it, but it's very pretty. 
And the number one skein, which is, I think, one of my most favorite little random skeins that I have in my stash that I pulled out, would be a skein of DK Twist in the colorway Star Basket that came out a few months ago. Now, this I threw in to complete an order just to get to a certain amount one day, and I absolutely love this. It is a really cool gray with purples and greens, and I can't wait to come up with a great pattern for it. I'm thinking fingerless mitts or maybe a beanie, but we shall see. Alright you guys, I have to run to make sure I have time to edit this and get to my doctor's appointment this afternoon. So I hope you have a great week, I hope your knitting is treating you well, and remember as always, the best place to be is a little bit beyond normal. See you later!